T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. All three engines up and burning. 2, 1, 0, and Welcome, everybody, back to the original Jeep Podcast. We are your host, Rockin' Mr. Magic. Unique DNA. Mighty TP. This is the original Jeep Podcast. Gang. I don't see no competition in my face. If we do, then we just move them out the way. I don't even need no money in my face. Give me the money when I finish with the gang. Gang. What's good, everybody? The original Jeep Podcast is live and in color here this summer night, bringing you another fresh pod for y'all to step to. We appreciate you being here. Listen to us again. I am your host, Rocket Mr. Magic, flying solo tonight, but that doesn't mean we ain't got some good stuff here for you. So let's just kick it off. Tonight's episode here. We're going to cover a couple of things around the world of gaming in the NBA. This crazy summer madness going down with the off-season moves. The announcement of the new Doctor, the 13th Doctor. And a new show on Freeform got announced from Marvel. And then we got a new top 10 list. And we're going to talk a little bit more about a special box that got announced here as well. So to start, we're going to kick off with the announcement about the Nintendo Super Nintendo SNES Classic Edition. I don't know how about y'all feel about this. I truly, I, I myself really not sure how I feel about this yet. Because honestly, instead of excitement, I have questions. My first question right now simply is going to be, Will there be enough produced to meet the demand? Because, you see, we know there's going to be demand. See, there was demand for the NES Classic Edition. Actually, let me strike that. There's still demand for the NES Classic Edition. I'm going to keep it real. I'm pissed at Nintendo over the NES Classic Edition. And don't get me wrong. I love Nintendo. I grew up on Nintendo, I have consistently bought their hardware at launches, and all of it I still own, and it still works, with absolutely zero refurbishing required. My NES, my SNES, my N64, my GameCube, my Wii, my Game Boy, my Game Boy and DS variants, all in complete working order and fantastic. I love Nintendo, but I'm pissed that they did not make nearly enough for the NES Classic demand. So I figure, what is the what is the point here of driving nostalgia when you know there's a whole lot of gamers who are nostalgic for these items here and and you're not making, you're not making enough. It it doesn't make any sense to me. I am a guaranteed sale, as are thousands of thousands upon thousands of other people. There are there are people who would who would buy 
that NES Classic Edition and this SNES Classic Edition, who are not gamers, but were children in the 80s and 90s who would love to play those games again because they gave up video games around that time for whatever reason. And this gives them an excuse to go back to their childhood and play. My my mother, my mother is, she's not a, a gamer. She, she, well, in, in some aspects she is, because she loves arcade games, she loves pinball games, she likes card games, and she kind of got me started, she got me started in gaming. Is who she, she's the one who got me started in gaming. It was her in her Pac-Man cabinet, her pinball machine, you know, her playing Nintendo when my parents bought it, and being a master at Mario. She got me into to gaming, so... But my mother is not the quote-unquote gamer. My mother is 60 years old. She she didn't grow up in the gaming era. But she loves, she likes games. And I know my mother, well, she probably wouldn't buy it on her own if she had access to a Nintendo Classic Edition. It's small, it's cute, it's unassuming, and it plays great classic games that she rocked in the 80s and 90s and was awesome. My mother's the type of person in her senior years that would be a potential target, as are people in their 50s, 40s, and like mine in their 30s. But they didn't simply make enough. So, Nintendo, if you want excitement over this SNES Classic Edition, make enough. It's not hard. I know you're concerned about overhead. I know you're concerned about not having enough, but that $60 you wanted for the NCS plus the extra controller sale, it was a bet. It was locked down. The minute you announced it, I said, I want it. I'm a cop it. It's a wrap. I haven't copped it because you didn't make enough. So now I sit here jaded because of the NES Classic Edition and wondering why why spin wheels? I, I, I can't get excited about something that it's highly unlikely I'm going to get any of. I remember going to my local GameStop and I got there hours before the store even opened. And I was late compared to other people, but I, you know, hey, I'm a grown man. I got responsibilities. I can't just go and camp out. That store... Got a grand total of, I think it was three. Three. A whole entire uno, dos, tres. And you expect me to keep being excited about things like this and these announcements? Man, where's Destiny's Child when I need him? I can't get excited about it. I'm sorry, Nintendo. I love you. I always have. I always will. I think the Switch is fire, but they actually can't start with Switch because there ain't enough of them either. I don't know if they're just underestimating how many people are actually going to buy their products. You're Nintendo. Grow some balls. Get some gumption. Have some guts. Take some chances. Factor, you know what? Maybe there are people who still wouldn't buy our stuff because right now you're not acting like it. I wouldn't. I want to be excited about the Assidious Classic Edition. I want to plan to buy one. I can't because I have no idea if there's going to be nearly enough for me to have one. I was so hyped 
to get one of the NES Classic Edition so I could put it in my living room and let my little kids play with it, let my older kids play with it, and I wouldn't have to worry about my, my original Nintendo that's 30 years old getting touched and messed with and I can keep it in its pristine condition, keep it in its working condition and have my collector's piece while letting my children in my next generation experience the great classic old school games that I played as a kid. But no, I, I can't have that moment. Because Nintendo failed me. So now what you're telling me, Nintendo, is instead of buying your doll your box, which is pretty much a, a small box um, it's pretty much a Raspberry Pi with some emulators on it. Now I need to go make my own to have that experience, is what you're telling me. You'd rather have me make my own experience and create my own experience than provide me with the experience with the outside cover that I you know, crave for the nostalgia look. That is what you're telling me as a consumer. Go make your own because we don't make enough. We don't care enough. We are too scared to. Whatever the reason is, we don't care enough to make enough products for you and your uh, and your fellow people who still want to buy that product. We didn't make enough. We don't care enough. We're too scared. Whatever. So Nintendo, thanks for announcing the SNES Classic Edition. Who's excited for it? I don't know, but I'm sure they're not as excited as they would be because they probably just like me doubt that they're going to be able to get one. Now, I'm not sure how much uh, writing anybody who listens to Jeek Nation does, but me, Rockin' Mr. Magic, I'm a bit of a writer. I like to write. I've been working on some, some screenplays for quite some time, but nevertheless, I'll get ideas I think are cool, and every once in a while, I'll write a treatment. Now, for those who don't know, a treatment is kind of like a glorified summary of a film or a, a synopsis uh, for a show. So I was reading some of my comics, and I was like, you know, The New Warriors would be a really cool comic, but The Defenders coming out on Netflix... Um, it would be really cool to have the new warriors because the new warriors were young, they were cool, they had some hipness to them, they had some similarities with some of their characters because their characters mirrored other popular characters in some ways, but they were still a very unique team. But they were young, that was the big thing. They were the new warriors, they were young. So I was like, you know what, this, let, let, me, let me put this down, let me see how this looks. So I write a nice little treatment synopsis on for a uh, for a pilot episode i work on this for an entire weekend and i have to say even though i'm not any great screenwriter i think it was pretty good so i'm hyped about this well yo this is cool obviously i i have no connections at marvel i have i have no one that's going i can say hey check out this treatment i wrote for the new warriors i think it'd be bomb i got nobody in netflix i could talk to say hey check this out you think the defenders is gonna be fire yo read what i got for the new warriors dog i don't have that but hey i, I did it for me whatever what's disappointing is not disappointing but what was a little shot to my gut was a couple days later I'm looking on the internet and look, Freeform announced new Warrior series. <laughs> I'm like, really? 
Really? A new Warrior series on Freeform. Okay. And then I see that they have casted this new Warrior series on Freeform. So I look at the cast. I see the pictures of these people, these actors and actresses. And I look at the team that they're assembling for the new Warrior show. And I, you know, and I can't, I can't be mad because I understand why. Because it's Freeform. You know, Freeform is, you know, C.W. Jr., for lack of a better analogy. They're going with a newer version of the team, which makes sense. Someone old like me, someone who's been reading comics for a long time, who remembers when the New Warriors was a brand new, was it was a, uh, not a brand new book, but I remember when the New Warriors was still a relatively new book, because it came out before I was born, but I remember when it was relatively new. I look at the team, I look at the cast, and I look at these char- these people, I'm like, one, I have no idea who any of these actors are, which is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, mind you. I appreciate fresh faces. So I'm okay with the fact that I look at these people and I'm like, I've never seen any of these people in anything, and if I have, they weren't very memorable. I just They were probably a small role here and there. So I took a look, and my favorite character of all the New Warriors uh, is Night Thrasher. He's going to be played by a uh, Jeremy Tardy. Uh, if you are a fan of Dear White People, Jeremy Tardy uh, starred in that series. And it's probably the most uh, recent thing he's uh, been in and probably the most uh, defined role he's had. Uh, if you check out his IMDb, he's got a you know, appearance here, an appearance in Castle, a couple appearances in the Mini Project, but uh, not a whole lot on his resume on IMDb. So, Mr. Tardy, the relatively fresh face, fresh face, fresh face, what am I doing? Mr. Hardy is a relatively fresh face. And he is going to be, again, playing the leader, the one who forms the team in Night Thrasher. Then we've got Matthew Moy playing Microbe. Matthew Moy, another relatively uh, fresh face. Uh, he's a voice actor in Steven Universe. He had a, a pretty, pretty good recurring role in Two Broke Girls, according to his IMDb. Did some video game voice work for Skylanders. Um, had an appearance here and there. Um, and Kicking It had a small role. In a show called Aim High, I never even heard of. Um, so uh, he he had an episode. He did an episode of Chuck, which uh, I love. Chuck it's one of my favorite shows. I don't remember him in Chuck, but he was in that small recurring role in iCarly, role recurring role in Scrubs. So he he's been around a whole lot more than uh, Mr. Tardy, but again, pretty much a, a relative relative unknown. Next, we've got Mr. Derek Thieler. I guess how that's how you pronounce his name. The Thuller Thieler. T-H-E-L-E-R. Thuller. The, I don't know. Thieler Thuller. I don't know how to say his name. So if he ever hears this, Derek, I apologize for jacking up your name. But I have no idea how to pronounce that. He is going to be playing Mr. Immortal. I definitely think he's well cast in the fact that he's got the look. Definitely. Um, he's got that uh, square jawline. You know, look look like he could be a uh, you know a Captain America Junior type, um, that uh you know that all American boy type look to him. Uh, Mister Mortal is that to the T. So, 
definitely have to look there. Uh, Derek, again, kind of a relatively unknown. He had a recurring role on uh, Baby Daddy, which is a show I never even heard of myself. Um, he played Danny Wheeler. He might have been the star. I don't know. I never heard the show. All I know is he's had a recurring role here. Um, you know, had an episode of General Hospital, Project Sarah. It's a recurring role. A couple appearances in the the new nine the new nine hundred two one zero. So uh, he's got a little kind of in between Matthew Moy's experience and Jeremy Tari's, but uh, still not uh, still not you know it's a relative unknown. He's not known for a lot. He's done some modeling on top of it, it appears, and. Uh, so he's still he's still a fresh face. The next fresh face we have is Callum Worthy. He's probably not as fresh as looking at his DMB compared to the others, but Mr. Worthy is gonna be playing speedball. That's uh, I think it's gonna be interesting. I, I've now I've never seen anything count, but then I have heard of one of his, one of his shows that he did when he was younger. Um uh, Austin and Allie. I remember when that show came out. My older kids were still a little younger, and they they were watched. They they started watching that a bit. So, I I've seen his face before, but uh, I've I've never watched you know, a single thing he's he's been in um, that I can recall. He looks like he had a uh, guest spot in uh, Good Luck Charlie, Longmire. He uh, he had a he appeared in Caprica, which. Another show I watched, so Flashpoint, Smallville. So he's appeared in some stuff I like. Looks like he appeared. In, oh, okay. I okay. I do remember seeing him in Psych. I remember the Psych episode he was in. Um, and looks like he appeared in a couple of Psych episodes, but one is particularly I remember from the first season that he appeared in. Okay, so I I can, I can say now that I'm looking at it. Uh, that's triggering a little bit. Uh, Mr. Worthy is looks like by far the most experienced actor on this cast here, uh, playing speedball. Uh, Mr. Worthy's a, he's a redhead. I don't know if they'll dye his hair because speedball is uh, he's a blonde, and that's kind of been a big kind of been a part of speedball's look is the uh, the big. Just I, I can't describe speedball's hair. It's just big, um, and just. Yeah, anybody that knows speedball, it's I, it's hard to describe what his hair looked like, and I, I have no idea on how uh, you know white guy hairstyles go and what they're named. So if there's a name for that, please educate me. Please comment on this video. Help me out because I have no idea how to describe uh, Mr. Worley's oh sorry speedball's hairstyle here. And then, lastly, we then we're going to meet the ladies of the cast, starting with Miss uh, Kate Gomer, Comer, Miss Kate Comer, who is going to be playing the role of uh, of debris. And Miss Comer, she's got a, uh, also a pretty short uh, IMDb list here. She's had some appearances in Veep recently. Um, the comeback, small, uh, she had appearance in Shameless, Criminal Minds, The Whitest Kids You Know, Dollhouse, so, 
short, you know, get a relatively fresh face. Um, I just t- tell by looking at her, she's, she looks like she's pretty kind of well cast. Um, the only thing about uh, Miss Comer I'm looking at is she seems a very chipper, smiley young woman. And I, I'm just trying to remember all the times I've seen Debris smile in the new Warriors current comics. I can't think of one. So, uh, seeing how Miss Comer can depict a relatively grumpy character, um, that's going to be interesting. You'll probably attest to her, her acting skill. And last is going to be Squirrel Girl, played by Milana Vantrub, I guess is how you pronounce her name. Uh, Milana is Russian, so there may be some, uh, yeah, some Russian pronunciation there that I just do not know. Uh, Milana is probably going to be the most recognized um, outside of Cal, uh, outside of uh, Cal Murthy because she has appeared as uh, Sloane Sandberg and This Is Us, which you know that show almost made me cry. Um, so I think she may be a little bit more of a recognizable face than the rest of these actors and actresses here. She also had some roles on Silicon Valley. Um, Looks like she Porter appeared in Californication a couple years ago. Um, it was like she was in the new Ghostbusters movie last year. So she's had some some spots here that she could be recognized in. And of course, you know, the, the surprisingly uh, successful out of left field uh, series, you know, This Is Us. Which, uh, if you want to cry, male or female, This Is Us is definitely... A show to uh, to watch if you're trying to get your feelings out. So this cast looks interesting. I, I'm not gonna lie, it looks interesting. I again, I'm excited because I think this cast is fresh, and they could definitely bring uh, a lot of good things to the New Warriors as a as a as a series. Uh, I don't I have no idea what tone of the New Warriors series is gonna take um, because it's free form. I, I don't know what to expect. Again, I call Freeform the CW Junior uh, because that just tends to be the tone that they that they take. Um, so I, I can't say that I'm expecting uh, of anything on the Netflix level of quality of Daredevil, um, Luke Cage, or even a Jessica Jones. Maybe the quality of an Iron Fist because that was in many ways a hot mess, but... Iron Fist even had its redeemable parts because the supporting cast in Iron Fist was pretty much excellent. It was just Finn Jones and his lack of um, martial arts skills and the fact that he kept on talking about how he was so tough and he couldn't be beat, but he would get his butt kicked every episode. Aside from that, you know, Iron Fist was, wasn't that bad. So I just, I'm not sure where this is going to go. I'm really, I'm really hoping that, um, that they let this, these guys, these, this crew this cast be uh, very reminiscent of their their Marvel um, comic counterparts. I would really hope to see that Mr. Tardy can be the you know black dude version of Batman. Pretty much is what uh, essentially in a lot of ways Night Thrasher is. Um, you know he's a rich kid who lost his parents and he's angry and wants to take out criminals. Um, that's him. That's Night Thrasher in a nutshell, and. 
Night Smash is also very cold and calculating. If uh, if you're old like me and you remember reading the very first episode of Night of uh, New Warriors, which I think would have been a great team to start with because uh, Richard Ryder as Nova would have been on that team, and I think Derek Thuller there could have been in a great Richard Ryder. He I think he looks better as a potential Richard Ryder as uh, as Nova than he does as Mister Immortal. Um, so I, I I really would love to have seen uh, the original team, you know, Night Thrasher, Speedball, um, Nova, Firestar, also um, Namor, you know, Namorita, and I know I'm missing somebody there in that original team. It'll come to me. I think I'm missing one more. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably yeah, maybe I'm not, but. Yeah, but anyway, the uh, what I really one thing about you know Night Thrasher that I just dug because you know it's very Batman like is uh, first thing he does to start forming this team was to take Richard Ryder who had lost his powers as, as Nova, he lost his super strength, he lost his fight, took him up to uh, pretty much kidnapped him, took him to the top of a of a building on the roof and uh, dropped him off the edge. And Ryder fell, and he panicked, and then powers kicked back in, just like that. And, you know, happy he had his powers back, but enraged he got dropped off a building. He goes to Night Thrasher, and he's like, what's wrong with you? Did you how did you know that there was still some of, the you know, some of my power left in me? And Night Thrasher's like, I didn't. He was just testing him. He's hoping that, hey, maybe if I get this guy panning and drop him off the building, maybe he'll fly. Very ice cold, Ninth Thrasher. So it'd be interesting to see if uh, Freeform can take that type of tone that the comics have held. Now, we know traditionally the film and TV adaptations of comic books tend to not echo the themes in the comics but we've had some that have been alright or pretty good and some borderline on great I just personally can't say I have that much faith in Freeform to to do that at that level we don't know yet because it's so early I mean this is just an announcement I don't even think they've started production on this um, it's supposed to come out 2018 when I, I don't know but uh, I will definitely going to keep following up with the new warriors and you know keep you all updated as far as what info we hear about it but let, what do you what do you guys think um of the new warriors coming out who's excited for it you know please you know comment let us know if you're excited for it because we'll retouch this topic again um if you have you know a vested interest in the new warriors and if you're saying to yourself who are the new warriors you've never heard of this team I definitely recommend checking it out. Check out some of the older books. Check out the newer team. Uh, the New Warriors, to me, has always been one of my, um, and I hate to make them you know, sound bad, but B-level, um, and, and, and that's not insulting the, the book, but what I mean by B-level, it's they're not your mainstream. Everybody recognizes these, these guys heroes. They're not a Spider-Man. They're not a Batman. They're not a Superman. They're not a Captain America. Uh, they're not, you know, they're not an Iron Man. They're not a... Uh, a Green Lantern where most people, comic book fans or not, would have heard of these guys. These are great characters that comic book fans 
know who these guys are. Speaking of knowing who someone is, we have a new doctor. Jody Whitaker has been announced to a, an extreme reaction online as the 13th Doctor. In Doctor Who, she will be replacing Peter Capaldi, who had a, a nice little run there as a doctor. And as I said, the internet has reacted uh, quite interestingly to this announcement. The Personally, the writing was clearly on the wall that the show was going to bring in a, a female as the doctor. Um, I don't think it could have been any more clear outside of just saying, hey, we're going to bring in a woman. And for those people who are extremely upset about a woman being the doctor, I personally have to say a couple things. One, suck it up. It's it's done. You can't change it. You're whining, complaining, comments, Facebook polls, all that stuff. That's not going to change a single thing. The executive producer, the writing staff, they're not going to change it because you don't like it. You can start a change.org petition, do all you want, unless this woman all of a sudden is discovered that she's a, you know, a, an international drug dealer, she's a pimp, she's a murderer, she's a, a war criminal. Unless something drastic in her life goes completely awry, we discover she's got not just like a small skeleton in her closet, like she has a, a battlefield of skeletons in her closet, this isn't going anywhere. She's going to be the doctor. Jodie Whittaker is the doctor. That's just that. Now, Jodie Whittaker as an actress, personally, I love. I haven't seen her in a, in a much, so I, I'm going to put that out there. I have not seen Jodie Whittaker in much. However, if you've watched Broadchurch, as I have, I loved Jodie Whittaker in Broadchurch. I think she's a fantastic young actress. I think she has a great range of, of emotion that she can express, especially uh, in her role in Broadchurch where she played, you know, a mother who lost a son. Uh, I, I think that, that she just is phenomenal in in her ability to, to convey emotion. I think she's great. Um, the I do have a concern, and that is simply the doctor is very unique and a character. He's he has and he or she well, the doctor has, and of course if like you should be saying he yes it's tough to break a habit that people been because people have been calling the doctor he because it's always been a he for a fifty year span. So forgive me if I say he. But the doctor has been very unique quirky character and the those quirks have changed per portrayer of the role um eccleston had a dashing wild-eyed you never know what this cat is going to do next type of quirk that he would bring uh tenant brought a fun i'm this you know inventor type i'm this you know the, the doctor you know i'm making this little box to help me do this and it goes ding or I make I have this and it helps me and it goes boop, you know. 
uh, Matt Smith had his quirky thing where, you know, he uh, he changed a tie up and, and he dabbled a lot of technology and he mentioned, you know, hacking and, um, you know, his his doctor had his, had that quirk, different quirk to him. And obviously the quirks of some of the classic doctors, uh, even Paul McGann, who, you know, did not play the role long. He did the TV movie and he did a nice little cute, um, actually he called it cute because it wasn't cute, but he did a nice little transition video for when they introduced John Hurt as the war doctor, um, showing how he pretty much saw how he died and needed to regenerate again. Uh, I think pickups to Paul McGann for doing that, I think it was phenomenal. It gave who fans like myself a chance to really see him shine uh, again, even for, uh, I think it was a 10 minute short. Um, but you know, especially after Paul's, uh, success, uh, as a supporting character in, in Luther, which I thought him and Idris Elba just had an amazing, uh, interact, had this amazing chemistry, um, as, uh, the, the two men fighting over the Zoe Luther character's, uh, affections there. I, I thought Paul would just, was fantastic. And I was, Wishing actually at watching Luther, like wow, it'd been really great to have to see Paul do do more uh, of his time as a doctor. So that short was just great. If you haven't seen that short, uh, definitely check it out. I forget the name of it, and I apologize. I'll, I'll post the name of that short uh, in the comments when this uh, goes on YouTube. But I definitely have a concern just with Jody's ability to bring her own unique quirk to her spin of the doctor and not that I doubt her acting abilities. I haven't seen her in anything that has shown me, um, in a quirky side. I just haven't seen that from her. So not doubting her ability, but could she be the, you know, her own unique spin of that quirk? It remains to be seen. I will give her this on top of being a great actress. She already has experience with the new head writer and executive producer, uh, Chris uh, Chibnall, 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 I don't know how to pronounce that. It's Chibnall is how it's spelled. So someone please again, help me, help me pronounce that name. Uh, but uh, Chris actually created and wrote Broadchurch before coming to Doctor Who. So she and Chris have a relationship already. He's worked with her. She's worked with him. She knows his writing. And if you get, if you haven't seen Broadchurch, check it out. David Tennant, the 10th Doctor, stars in Broadchurch. And it is an excellent show. And I actually, I actually thought that Broadchurch co-star, um, not Jodie Whittaker, the other uh, female Broadchurch co-star who's Name, of course, now is escaping me when I do know her name. Um, I'm ashamed of myself to say that I don't remember her name now that I'm trying to remember it. Um, but her name is, oh, Olivia Coleman. I thought Olivia Coleman was going to be a front runner to play the doctor. But, uh, you know, Jodie Whittaker came out of nowhere. And at least to me. Jody Whitaker came out of nowhere to to snag that role, and uh, I think she, again, I think she's going to be amazing um, as as the Doctor. 
but uh, we'll we'll see. I but uh, I definitely think compared to some of the other doctors taking over, that Jodie has an advantage because of her relationship uh, with Chris, and the fact that she also has worked with Tennant, and I'm sure she talked to Tennant uh, either after accepting or before accepting, saying, "Hey, David." You know, I'm I'm really thinking about taking this role as a doctor. What do you think? How, you know, am I, you know, could I do it? Um, any advice? And I'm pretty sure that she had that conversation with David. Because it only makes sense to have that conversation with David Tennant because he's probably the most popular of the, um, the of the restarting of the Doctor Who series. You know, since Krista Eccleston, since the ninth Doctor, David Tennant is you know, by far, in my opinion, with most people, the most popular of uh, the newer doctors. So it would make sense to consult with him. And I'm pretty sure he gave her some feedback and, and encouraged her saying, yes, go for it. I, you, you have the chops for it. It, it makes sense. You know, make, go ahead, take the role, make it yours. So moving on here, let's talk, you know, let's talk about and talking about moving, I should say. Um, we're moving from, from one doctor to the next. Let's talk about moving from one city to another. The wild, wild west that is the NBA offseason has been extremely wild and just pretty much everybody saw the movie Gone West because everybody but Gordon Hayward has gone west. Three big, There's so many moves we could talk about, but there's three really big moves still right now to this day that have happened and we're still waiting on what's going to happen with Carmelo Anthony. Uh, I'm now hearing really strong consideration from the Blazers before it was just little rumors, but apparently CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard are, are vying for the Blazers to make a move for, uh, for Carmelo Anthony. I don't know how that's going to go. I think it probably be better than Houston, but Houston is still the front runner to my knowledge. And speaking of Houston, we have that Chris Paul to Houston deal. The more I think about this deal, which is kind of old news now, the less I like the deal for Houston. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, as much as I love Chris Paul, and I think he's one of the top 10 point guards to ever play this game, basketball, and I mean that. I think he's actually a top 10 greatest of all time point guard. He's that good and has been that good over the tenure of his career. I don't see... Chris Paul and James Harden working on the court together unless James Harden is willing to change his game to fit how Chris Paul plays. I, I just can't see James, who was so ball-dominant, um, controlling the ball so much for Houston, especially to use, um, use his craftiness to get to the cup because James is consistently the top or one of the top free throw attempt takers in the league because he controls the ball so much and he uses his shiftiness and his his savvy to, to draw fouls and get and get to the free throw line. That can happen if Chris Paul is dribbling the air of the basketball. He, he I, he's never been really uh, James Harden, I mean he's never been really a catch and shoot type of guy. Um, not that I don't not that I don't think that James can do it. It's just hasn't really been his game. And obviously he put up these big time offensive numbers because of the fact that uh, he's playing on the Mike D'Antoni system and his numbers got that boost and he had the ball in his hand. He was pretty much playing point guard. So you bring in a point guard and you take James off of that then. How does that impact James? 
offensively, is he going to be able to play off the ball? I just I have trouble seeing that because of what he's done in Houston, even what he did in Oklahoma City, which was he was an entirely different player then, but he still is better, in my opinion, offensively when he's controlling the ball. Now, obviously, I'm saying offensively because defensively, James Harden is non-existent, and that, I think, is also going to be a problem for someone like Chris Paul, who was never non-existent defensively. Even if Chris Paul is, over, is outmatched by someone he's defending. Chris Paul is playing hard-nosed in-your-face, old-school style defense. Even when Steph Curry torched him all the time, and there was you know, two, two and a half three years ago when Steph had all those highlights and had those highlights of crossing people over, making them fall and everything, were on Chris Paul. Chris Paul is a very good defender. That dude's all-team you know, first or second team defense um, or in consideration for almost every year uh, of his career. Like, this, this guy plays D. This is no slouch we're talking about on the defensive end here, especially at the point guard position. So you're bringing a guy who's, who plays great defense. Now, he's not known for it as his primary forte, like Patrick Beverly, who he was traded for, is. But Patrick Beverly also pretty much can't score unless he's, like, wide open. Not Rondo bad, but... You know, Patrick Beverly pretty much isn't scoring unless he's wide open. Where Chris Paul obviously can create his own shot. He can create for other people. He's a well-rounded, all-around player. I just don't see, on paper, how this works. I mean, it looks good if I'm playing 2K. But I just don't see the practical application of this. The only sense this makes to me is that Chris is going to be able to get his money. He's going to be able to sign a big deal, and he will he won't have to worry about um, you know, signing a free agent deal, taking less years, taking less money, because he had this, you know, this last year, this last year on his deal going to Houston, and he'll, he may sign long-term with them, he might sign, uh, but I'm pretty sure he's not going to go anywhere else, I'm pretty sure he's going to re-sign um, a new deal with Houston, and make a lot of tax-free, or well, state tax-free at least, money staying in Houston. He's going to make a whole lot more money than he would had he stayed in L.A. So for me, the Chris Paul to Houston deal makes sense for one person, Chris Paul. And that's not to make Chris Paul sound bad. That's not to make Chris Paul the bad guy in this deal because I don't think there's any bad guys in this deal. I think this deal happened because... Of a few basketball reasons uh, for the Clippers, I think it happened because people needed people started to realize on the Rockets' end, especially Daryl Morey, that you know James did some really great things for us, but he really needs to to preserve James Harden. He really can't control the ball all the time because we don't want James Harden burning out. He's still a young man. He's still a young player, and a player of that caliber who can be versatile offensively and do different things for you. You want to preserve that as much as possible. The next move we had came uh, from, surprisingly, from the Pacers sending Paul George to Oklahoma City. There's a whole lot of stuff we could chat about this with Paul George going to AK, OKC. Is this a rental? Because Paul has made it clear that he's interested in playing for the Lakers. Is Paul going to fit in with Russell Westbrook and clearly being 
Russell well Russell almost said Wilson um, Russell Westbrook's sidekick now Paul George has never been the sidekick really in his career I mean when he came into the league Danny Granger was the best player on the Indiana Pacers but Danny Granger got hurt and Roy Hibbert has never been a great player um, David West was a very good player and Paul George was a young athletic kid who who took over. Um, you know, the, the their best player was playing his position in the end. Granger Granger gets hurt. And uh I think Granger actually had that big first injury George's rookie year. And obviously Denny Granger was never the same player, which I feel bad for because I thought Denny Granger was really a star on the rise. I thought he could have really had uh, a really great career. Uh, but I digress. Paul George was the man in Indiana. Paul George almost got his team as far as Russell Westbrook did uh, without having the level of talent that Russell Westbrook was playing with. You know, playing with Kevin Durant, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, you know, obviously playing against Miami in the finals. That same Miami Heat team that Paul George and his Indian Pacers faced in the Eastern Conference Finals. And again, with less talent, George Hill isn't a bad player, but he's George Hill. Um, Roy Hibbert's Roy Hibbert, David West, a former All-Star, very good player, but he's no Kevin Durant. He's no James Harden. And uh, who else was on that uh, Indiana Pacers squad? Leah Stevenson, good player. Not <laughs> anywhere near the level of a Kevin Durant or James Harden. So you know, PG leading his team, being the number one fiddle. I don't know how he will be as as the uh, as the second banana. Um, he's he's definitely phenomenally talented. I, I love the fact that he rebounded from that gruesome injury the way he has. And he's still a top flight player, um, probably you know in the top five of small forwards in in the game right now. And uh, I definitely think he has the potential to be a top five player period in the league. I think Paul George is that good. Can he be that good with Russell Westbrook? I say no, and not because of him. I say no because I don't think anybody outside of the upper echelon of talent can be that good alongside Russell Westbrook because Russell Westbrook is about getting Russell Westbrook's. I, I, I don't dislike Russell Westbrook, but I believe that he is not going to be a, a, a winner in the NBA uh, on the team level simply because I don't think he has it in him to properly play with people. I don't think that he moves the ball enough. He's 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 about getting his stats, and I, I just I don't see it working long term. Um, the problem for with Paul George is uh, I think for Paul is just that what is going to happen with him because as much as noise as he made about he's made about the Lakers and wanting to be there uh, there's all this can constant talk about LeBron James ending up with the Lakers um, and you know you're going to have Paul George and LeBron James on the Lakers they play the same position you know a yes you know, LeBron could play the four, but let's face it, we know LeBron is not a power forward. That's just not who he is. It's not what he does. He's gone to that role on occasion in certain situations like he did in Miami. But Paul, but, you know, 
Paul George has also done the same thing for Nina, playing some power forward. Um, but as Jalen Rose is always known for going on about positionless basketball, um, if you're attributing a position, like I like to, like I like to attribute positions because I still believe in the positions that uh, Paul George is a small forward. Uh, he's definitely not the arch ty- uh, typical power forward, you know, the old school bruiser with the Charles Oakley, Michael Cage, Dennis Rodman, um, you know, Rick Mahorn, you know, type of, uh, you know, AC Green, even Charles Barkley as a scorer, as a scorer was a bruiser of a power forward. He's not, Paul George is not that, LeBron's not that. That's not how they play. They play like small forwards. They play like wing players because that's what that's what they are. They're wing players. Power forwards traditionally were on the block. Now you've got the newer power forwards, the Dirk Nowitzkis, um, who are constantly on the outside, you know, shooting more than you know, doing the dirty work. I, I just think that on an eighty-two game schedule, that uh, Paul George or LeBron James is not best suited for playing power forward. I think. You couldn't have them both in Lakers. You're talking about two guys who attack the rim. That's their primary way of getting buckets. And you, there's only there's only so much space in the lane. Uh, and LeBron, especially being such a defensive magnet, is a guy that you want to have shoes around because you used to want to drive and kick, drive and kick. If he's got a kick, if he can't take his hammer at home, the guy needs to kick out to shooters. Paul George can score, but everyone knows he's not a shooter. That's not his forte. Um, same with uh, you know another good comparison I think would be like a Paul Pierce. Guy can shoot, guy can shoot to three, but he's not a shooter. He's a scorer. Uh, he shoots better with a hand in his face than he does on a wide open three. Uh, he's got a, he's a scorer. So I, I just don't know how that's going to happen with all these rumors about LeBron going to L.A. Now, who knows if they're true or not. I personally don't think LeBron is going to be in Cleveland any longer than this next season. Um, but where he, LeBron ends up, that is that is truly a toss-up. LeBron could end up in New York, for all we know, especially if Phil Jackson is, is gone and the, the mess that is the New York Knicks could possibly have a chance to get cleaned up, um, especially if they you know, would do what I think they should do and bring in former Nick Martin Jackson as their president of basketball operations. But James Dolan is not a smart person, at least when it comes to running his basketball team. So it's highly doubtful that we'll see that. And lastly, talking about moves, we have to talk about the one guy that moved east because unlike, you know, Paul Millsap and, you know, unlike uh, everybody else, pretty much, except for LeBron, who wasn't a free agent anyway, he still, he stayed put. Gordon Hayward decided to go east to Boston. <sighs> I'm sorry. I said Gordon Hayward uh, went east to Boston like it means something. Uh, look, I like Gordon Hayward. I, I do. I really do. Uh, I thought coming out of Butler, he had a potential to be a good NBA player. I thought he could be better than what people were, some people tying up to be as just, you know, here comes a sudden, you know, comes another guy who can just shoot. He's going to be a, uh, you know, he's going to be like a Steve Novak guy. He's going to come in, he's going to shoot, and he's going to be, a, actually, I shouldn't say Steve Novak. I shouldn't disrespect Gordon that way. More like a Kyle Korver type. You know, the guy's there, the guy can really shoot. He can't do much else. He can do a little bit here and there. Every once in a while, he'll surprise you and drive, but 
you know, the guys that come in and shoot, and that's it. I thought Gordon Hayward had more game than that. I'm glad that he proved me right, and I'm really pleasantly surprised that Gordon Hayward showed that he has a whole lot more game than everybody thought he had. Like, this dude legitimately is a top small forward slash shooting guard. I think he balled out better at shooting guard. But this dude is a legit player. This dude can play. Gordon Hayward's put up big-time numbers. He's not afraid of competition. He likes competition. And I I think that going back and reuniting with his coach, his old college coach, Brad Stevens, is going to be a good thing for him. Sadly for the Boston Celtics, he plays with a ball-dominant guard in Isaiah Thomas, who is like a... Uh, I can't see the small Chris Paul because he's not at that level, but uh, he's a ball-dominant guard like a Chris Paul is, like a Russell Westbrook is, and he really doesn't make anybody better but Isaiah Thomas. So, Boston, you got a good player. It's not going to make a difference. I know I'm not the first person to tell you this. I ain't going to be the last, hopefully. If I'm the last and the rest of them are lying to you, this does not make you better than Cleveland, even though Cleveland has the roster issues. Cleveland still has LeBron, and unless LeBron gets hurt, nobody else is going to stop them as far as preventing them from getting to the finals. It's just not going to happen. Whoever LeBron is playing with right now, he could he could play with my grandmother, your grandmother, um, another grandmother, and someone else's grandmother. And he probably still would make it all the way to the finals because that's LeBron right now. So, you know, hey, decent move. I'm not sold on Boston's roster moves. I'm not sold on all the stockpiling picks they have. I'm not doing much with it. But, you know, Danny Ainge, he's, I think he's kind of resting on his laurels of the championship that Kevin McHale gave him by sending Kevin Garnett to Boston for virtually nothing. Not to disrespect Al Jefferson, but Al Jefferson's career is not even a quarter of the great career that Kevin Garnett had. And Al Jefferson never had the potential to have the type of career that Kevin Garnett had. So, as I stated, Kevin McHale gave a championship by trading Kevin Garnett to Denny H for nothing plus Al Jefferson. Period. I like Big Al, but nah. That was a gimme trade. That was a gimme championship. And Danny Ainge is kind of resting on his laurels. They believe and they trust him. They got a title in recent memory. And he seems to just be holding a bunch of cards. And he doesn't know how to deal. And I think that uh, Gordon Hayward does not, unfortunately, push the Celtics over the top, even as the Cleveland Cavaliers are declining. And trust me, I wish this wasn't the case. If you anybody that knows me knows I detest Cleveland. I can't stand Cleveland. And it's not LeBron. I can't stand to see Cleveland I'm a Detroit cat. We don't like Cleveland. Cleveland don't like us. I don't want Cleveland to win. I never want to see Cleveland winning. All right, so next we've got a resurgence here. Speaking of over the top, we are bringing to you, if you haven't heard, a couple days ago, there was an announcement from a name that really does not get much, uh, much ado about it. And, oh my goodness, years, years and years and years. And that name is Atari. And the news is that Atari is, has revealed their 
first new console in 24 years. There are people on my job that have never been alive to see an Atari console. Of course, that makes me feel really old, but Atari has not put together a home console since the Jaguar launched in 93. I was 11. Now, they've had some, you know, side projects, some plug-and-play one-offs, but a full-out console, they haven't done since 93. But now, Atari getting back in the game with a brand new console they are calling Atari Box. Now, a direct quote from Atari is, our objective is to create a new product that stays true to the heritage while appealing to both old and new fans of Atari. Inspired by classic Atari design elements, such as the iconic use of wood, ribbed lines, and raised back, we are creating a smooth design with ribs that flow seamlessly all around the body of the product, a front panel that can be either wood or glass, a front-facing logo, indicator lights that glow through the material, and an array of new ports. We tend to release two editions, a wood edition and a black-red edition. Now, for starters first, just for me, one, I love Atari. I, I, I always have. I thought that they, like Sega, um, are just the, the two companies that have made some great software, had some good hardware, but made so many mistakes along the way in the hardware console battle that they just put themselves in, in such tough holes that they just couldn't dig themselves out of them. And I'm glad to see that, especially uh, Atari, hasn't given up the fight. Um, giving Not giving up the fight, to me, just it means a lot just in the console wars because I think the big dogs in Sony and Microsoft right now have gotten lazy to a certain extent um, with... How with with their design and concept creation, with with Sony and, and Microsoft, and I think Atari making noise with having their own box because of their name and their longevity. I mean, they've been in the game a whole lot longer than Sony or Microsoft have. They've been in the game as long as Nintendo has. So them putting out a box that looks as amazing as it looks like. If you haven't seen the picture. This box looks great. It has um, the wood in the front, I think, is amazing. If I it, should say if, when I buy one, I'm definitely going to get the wood edition because it looks like it reminds me of my Atari 2600 in that finish. The, the, the shape is reminiscent of the Atari 2600. If you are familiar with the design of the Atari, uh, of the Atari 2600, you would kind of imagine that this kind of looks like the... Uh, and design um, the form of the body looks kind of like the steam box that was released um, not too long ago. So this this thing looks great. Um, the ribbed lines I've always loved those. It looks very sleek. It's a, it's a fantastic, beautiful looking box. The you know kudos to the Atari design team. It's fantastic. And it's got that uh, you know that 80s look that uh, an old guy like me would say, yo, this is this is just sexy, this, this looks gorgeous. So, my, you know, my other concern is going to be gaming content. Are we talking about 
strictly classic gaming content? Are we talking about current gaming content? Well, according to Atari, in their newsletter, they stated that they are going to be delivering classic gaming content and they will be delivering current gaming content. So this isn't going to be one of those, um, you know, plug and play drawings that you see at, uh, you know, at Walmart or, or, or Target or, um, or Best Buy or something like that. They apparently sounds like they are going to go somewhere between that and a current gen system. That, that's my that's my that's what I gleaned from these comments here. So we're talking about you know having some you know retro maybe some ports to allow you to you know play some classic games like you know you know Pac-Man and Miss Pac no Miss Pac-Man you know um, you know Battle Tanks, Galaga, Defender, Solaris stuff like that. Um, however, they also did specifically mention. Again, current gaming content. They also mentioned having modern internal specs. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things that, that could go through there. Uh, we could be talking about games um, like uh, more mobile, like some of the modern mobile titles. We could be talking about some, depending upon the software operating system that they choose to use, having either their own, maybe using an Android, like we've seen some other systems. Um, the that would open up the possibilities to a whole lot more um, games like uh, you know maybe you know, some of the Angry Bird franchise, uh, Breakout, Roller Coaster Tycoons. Uh, we could definitely see some you know some EA Sims options in there too with that type of technology, the type of hardware. So there could be some some really great potential here. Um, one thing that. Uh, we don't know for sure. We don't know how powerful it's going to be. You know, everybody made a lot, made a lot of noise. And you know, when uh, Microsoft talked about the, I'm still calling it Scorpio. I'm refusing it to call the was it Xbox One X or something just plain stupid like that. I, I I have no idea what that even is supposed to mean, but I'm still calling it Scorpio. People were raving about Scorpio and the six teraflops and you know all the hardware specs, which not knocking it, amazing six teraflops. Are you kidding me? That is fantastic. I'm, I'm digging that. We don't know what Atari is going to bring to the table in that, this aspect. I would think that they're probably not going to go all hardcore um, to go into the super hardcore, full of super tech specs box. And I think to do so would be foolhardy. I think it would cost too much money, and it wouldn't make sense when they haven't dropped a console in 24 years. And what they need to do right now is get their brand back in front of people's faces that they're seriously going to think about contending in the console market again. In my personal opinion, this needs to be a in-between. This needs to be more than a plug-and-play, yet less than a current-gen competitor. But what it needs to be more than anything, first and foremost, it needs to be fun. And it needs to be fun for 35 to 55, and it needs to be fun for 18 to 34. Because if you can do that, you are expanding multi-generations and you are reaching a whole spectrum of gamers that Sony and Microsoft are strictly struggling to do. Nintendo has had some very success doing that with the Wii, and but the, the Wii U's failure and the Switch hasn't moment out long enough to really clarify whether it can do that as well um, as we did as far as the generational gaps 
the Atari has the the name, the classic look and feel to bring in your 70s and 80s babies, uh, and 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 then also your your 90s and and 2000s babies with something that's been really really cool. So it was probably going to be one of the questions I ask in, in a poll here either on Twitter or on Facebook. It's going to be. Are you excited about the Atari box? Have you even heard about it? <laughs> and have you even heard of Atari if you're not uh, even old enough? But uh, and from what I've shared with you, last would be, would be, are you interested in purchasing it? Uh, obviously, my assumption is that a reasonable price, because if we're talking to you on $300 machine, uh, $400 machine, and clearly it's got to, it better be an, a current gen competitor. You ain't getting my money. This is not going to happen. So, obviously, reasonably priced for the projection I recommend was, say, $150. You know, $150. If that's kind of the price point, would you buy an Atari box that can play classic games? We're not going to limit it to like the SNES or NES classic editions. We're talking about ample hard drive space. To store tons and tons and tons of games, you know, hundreds of games, especially the classic ones because they obviously aren't that large or file sizes, and obviously having ample space to put a decent amount of more current games on a hard drive or maybe even some removable storage. So definitely, you know, let, let us know. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please, um, I will definitely put out a poll here asking about your excitement level for the Atari box. And I would love to, we would love to hear back from you. We would love to get your feedback. So as we draw to a close here, this is, you know, our Tuesday night show. And we have another top 10 list for you. Because it's summertime, we have a top 10 list of the Jeep Nation top 10 summertime jams. This list is in not any particular order. And if you're not old, I have to apologize, you may not have heard of some of these songs, at least rec are immediately recognizable, some of these songs may not be. But trust me, all these songs are fire, especially when it comes to the subjects of summer. Number one, and again, not in a particular order, but this is the number one song I'm sharing here, one of my personal favorites by the Sugar Hill Gang, Hot Hot Summer Day. If you don't know this jam, Look it up. YouTube it, you know, Spotify it, whatever you gotta do. But hot hot summer day. Just rock out to that jam and you especially on a really hot day, like it's perfect for those hot, hot summer days. You can really just you can feel the vibe behind the whole song and when especially on those hot days where it's almost so hot it's unbearable. Pop that pop that track, pump it and Jump into a pool and you'll feel cooler. Number two, School's Out by Alice Cooper. Now, people, you know, I've never been big into Alice Cooper. I'm not going to front. But this song, this song is iconic. This is an iconic school. I mean, uh, School's Out song that just let everybody know, hey, it's summertime. Summertime is officially here. School's out for summer. And... I don't care who you are, where you lived, you heard this song back in the day, and this song got you so hyped for summertime to go out, run around, and do your thing. This song is fantastic. Number three, 
Nat King Cole's Those Lazy, Hazy, Crazy Days of Summer. Now, I'm 35 years old, but I love me some Nat King Cole. And not just Christmas Nat King Cole. Most of y'all only know Nat King Cole around Christmas time, okay? Nat King Cole could sing, okay? He was an old school crooner. He, you know, he was, he was the man, okay? One of my favorite... It actually, it's up there. I mean, it's one of my, this song is one of my favorite Nat King Cole songs, okay? And this song is one of the, a song I would say that is one of those uh, iconic, essential songs that generally define the quote-unquote summer song. Because most summer songs have more of a chill feel to them. You know, because summertime is that maxing, kicking and back, relaxing, grooving, doing your thing, summertime, top down, cruising type of feeling. So this song really captures that type of feeling. Um, you know, it, it talks, it's, it, hey, it even talks about food. You know, one of the, one of the, if my memory serves me correct, uh, Nat sings and uh, part of the chorus actually mentions food. Um, you know, the days of soda and pretzels and beer, like it's, 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 it's a fantastic, fantastic, smooth, just chill kickback song. Number four, Surfing USA by the Beach Boys. And this song, everybody knows this song. Like every, you've heard this song. I don't care if you live in Detroit. I don't care if you live in, you know, Alabama, Mississippi. I don't care if you in, you know, Seattle, Alaska. If you're an American and you've watched any type of media that it mentions summer, you've heard this song. It, it's it's Surfing USA. Um, I don't even know what needs to be said about Surfing USA. It's the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys are dope. All right. If you don't know, you need to know the Beach Boys are dope. And Surfing USA is just one of the most iconic summertime songs, period. So, if you ain't jamming to Surfing USA this summer, you're missing out, homie. Number five, Saturday in the Park by Chicago. Now, I'm not a Chicago fan. I'm not a big classic rock fan, so I'm not even going to front. However, Saturday in the Park is a, is a beautiful, smooth, another chilling mellow style summer song and it's pretty much just about a saturday in the park you know and describing what happens when they go in, into this park on a saturday what they see and it is great it really puts you in a great summertime mood um this is a, a great um this is a great picnic song like where you've got people over and you know the kids are off running the, and the adults are sitting and have a conversation and having saturday in the park playing in the background that's what type of smooth jam this is if you haven't listened to it, Spotify that joint. I'm telling you right now, you'll enjoy it. Number six, one of my personal favorites, Summertime, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Another, you know, another smooth mellow jam. You know, Will, you know, Will Smith and and Jazz man, they 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 do what they were doing with this one, and you know, this is this is you know this is your hood summertime anthem right now, um, then and now. This is just, it's iconic. I, I think almost everyone's heard this song. Um, it's, it's never has lost its, uh, its appeal or luster. It is just a great kickback, 
And again, this is another great picnic song where you're just chilling and the song comes on and you're just feeling it. Yeah, it's just, it's a fantastic track. Number seven, Wipeout by the Safaris. Now, uh, this is this is just um, this is this is dating me obviously because I remember as a kid hearing Wipeout in all types of media. Now, Wipeout over the years has has you know gone away a bit, and if a young person has heard it, it's probably more of part of like a of a gag because someone fell because of the song going Wipeout. But Wipeout as a whole song one. I think it's undervalued, especially for today, because it has some super fly guitar riffs that you don't hear in music anymore. So Wipeout, definitely, if you haven't heard it, check it out. Again, Spotify that, Wipeout by the Safaris. It's an old song, yes, yeah, from 62, but trust me, if you like guitar licks and you like just, again, mellow, chill type music, Wipeout is a great, fun song to add to your summertime playlist. Number eight, we're going a little modern here with uh, with her, with your boy JT, Justin Timberlake, and Summer Love. Now, I, I am not a big Justin Timberlake fan. I always acknowledge his talent, but I've just never been a big quote-unquote fan. Um, he's had some tracks that I've liked, and for the, but for the most part, I've just been blase blase about his albums just because I just... I'm just not feeling them. Summer Love is one of the tracks that I just love. Like this is this is a summertime banger, um, and you know, for lack of a better term, because I hear this song and I'm just I immediately just I just start dancing because it it is it is one of my summertime jams. Like I I love this song right here. Uh, it is to me the moment it came out it jumped straight up into my top 10 of summertime songs. It is by far a modern summertime classic. Number nine, California Girls by the Beach Boys. Yes, the Beach Boys make two appearances on this top 10 summertime jams list. But California Girls, man, come on. California Girls is a great track. Um, you want, uh, Chris Tucker said it best in, in Rush Hour 2. Beach Boys is dope. And I know I said it earlier, but man, the Beach Boys are dope. Him and Jackie Chan singing California Girls, it made me laugh and chuckle. But that's how I sound singing California Girls because California Girls is the jam. You know, the Beach Boys have so many really cool songs and California Girls is just another one. I mean, there, there, there are arguably three or four other Beach Boys songs that you could contend that could make this list, okay? The Beach Boys, like, almost epitomize summertime songs but california girls for sure belongs in this list I, I there's no way i could keep it out i try to avoid having repeat offenders in my list but there's no way i could keep out california girls and surfing usa out of this list it just wasn't going to happen and number 10 this song is more of uh it's not, it doesn't really, it doesn't, this song is unique because it doesn't mention summer in this list, where all the other ones really mention clearly summertime. This song was released in the summer, and it makes a lot of sense, and you hear it a lot, um, and this one's more of a, a, you know, a club type, you know, hype beat, but Nelly's hot in here. Clearly a summertime classic. 
you, you especially when it gets hot um, and you're indoors, you're in the club, you're doing anything, the first person thinks somebody's going to say, man, it's getting hot in here. And you're going to hear somebody who thinks they're funny say the following lines. Either going to say, you know, take off all your clothes or they're going to be terribly singing the, you know, the, the hook about, you know, getting so hot. So... And you know, you're hearing it in your head, you, and you know that person, you hear that person in your head right now who makes the joke every time, and you roll your eyes, but you know in your head, you did the same thing. You said the same thing in your head, because hot in here is just, that it's Nelly's like, it's Nelly's song. That's his song that will, that will never die. People will forget about, you know, they'll forget about Air Force Ones, they'll be forget about the rest of country grammar, they will forget about sweat and suit don't forget about um the the joint he did with kelly Rowland. um i forget the name of the uh, dilemma don't forget about every other thing he put out except for hot in here that is nelly's stamp in the ground forever fun track and it's a summertime banger for sure so, G Nation, that concludes this episode of the original G podcast we hope you enjoyed coming out with us tonight. Let us know what you think about this episode. Let us know what you think about our top 10 summertime summertime jams list. We, we, we really want to know what songs would you add on? What songs do you think would take off? What songs have you not even heard of? And if you did hear them, um, let us know what you think. We want to hear from you. So that concludes this episode. Thank you again. We love you, Jig Nation. And as always, peace.